This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter on Joy 94.9, the show answering the questions you didn't even know you had. This week's guest is Sean Parker, a director, choreographer and dancer, and the artistic director of Sean Parker and Company. We talk about storytelling through dance, how his childhood and lived experience informs his work, and his queer mentorship program, Queer Bites. It is the body being able to move and communicate without any words I love. There's something about what the body can tell that's universal. And if we work with our dancers to craft that, we can tell a story that everyone in the world could turn up and watch and absorb the meaning and to be affected by it and be moved by it. For me, myself, I was a country boy. I was born in Mildura in 1970 and I grew up on a grape property. So we had 30 acres outside of Mildura and Merbeen, you know, sort of bushland surrounding it and then lots of grapes. <laughs> so I spent many school holidays picking grapes, so much that I, I do twitch a little when I see a grape or a sultana on a kitchen bench on occasion. <laughs> but what was wonderful about growing up in, in a country town was way out on the farm was the space. There was nothing around. It was the 70s and 80s. We had no internet. So I think there's something about having the space, spending hours one day just wandering around the bush and using your imagination to think about things, to have the space to consider things and reflect on things. You know, I remember my brother and sister and I, part of the, the vines had overflowed when we were doing the irrigation. So we spent half a day flicking mud at each other and had a full-on mud fight, you know. Some of that really sort of fun stuff of growing up in a country town, which was amazing, actually. So I think that was quite interesting in terms of practised imagination, in a sense. Sean Parker is a choreographer, director and dancer. His childhood played a large part in shaping him and his path to dance. He spoke to me about what it was like for him growing up. For me, myself, I was a country boy. I was born in Mildura in 1970, and I grew up on a grape property. So we had 30 acres outside of Mildura and Merbeen, you know, sort of bushland surrounding it, and then lots of grapes. <laughs> so I spent many school holidays picking grapes, so much that I, I do twitch a little when I see a grape or a sultana on a kitchen bench on occasion. <laughs> but what was wonderful about growing up in, in a country town was way out on the farm was the space. There was nothing around. It was the 70s and 80s. We had no internet. So I think there's something about having the space, spending hours one day just wandering around the bush and using your imagination to think about things, to have the space to consider things and reflect on things. You know, I remember my brother and sister and I, part of the, the vines had overflowed when we were doing the irrigation. So we spent half a day flicking mud at each other and had a full-on mud fight, you know. Some of that really sort of fun stuff of growing up in a country town, which was amazing, actually. So I think that was quite interesting in terms of practised imagination, in a sense. Sean had the freedom to run around a farm, and it helped inspire imagination. It wasn't all fun and games as a child for Sean, though. When I was young, I basically had a very bad speech impediment for many, many years. And so I couldn't really speak properly till I was seven years old. And I remember one day my mum sent me over next door to Mrs. Hutchinson, who was 
an old lady who lived next door and we never had any grandparents so she was sort of like a sort of a adopted grandmother figure and so I had to go over and ask for some sugar that mum wanted or something and I was at the door I was about five and I just couldn't get the words out I just couldn't at all and I remember being very upset and I sort of threw myself <laughs> I still remember it like a film I actually would bang my body in against the wall to hurt myself because I was so ashamed and angry that I couldn't speak. I remember struggling to communicate. I found it very hard to construct sentences, to say words. They just couldn't come out of my mouth. I had that very intense stutter and speech impediment. And so I remember my mum, they were quite worried about me. They took me to this woman out just outside of Mordura in Nichols Point. And a lot of Mordura sort of called her, oh, that hippie lady, you know, because it was very small country town in a way. But this woman was actually incredible. She was a creative thinker and innovator in a way. And she was the one, the first one that I'd been to because I'd, I'd seen a lot of different therapists on trying to get me to talk. And she uh, had all these different techniques, they were more creative. And I remember she gave me these binocular type things like viewfinders. And I would look through them and inside the viewfinder there was, for example, a farmyard. And I remember when they were pushed up against my eyes, I couldn't see anything beyond the binoculars except for the farmyard. I couldn't see people watching me. And I remember feeling quite relaxed. I felt I was in a fun world. And then the words just started coming out. I could. She said, I oh, explained to me, what do you see? What's happening in the farmyard? And so I could actually explain to her about, you know, the gate and the ducks and the horses and the geese. I could actually explain what I was seeing because I couldn't see anybody else. And that was a huge breakthrough for me. And from that, I was able just to start talking and explain things. And she constantly got me to look through the viewfinder. And then as I got better and better at it, she gave me all these exercises and I really wanted to get better. I, I would go home and study two hours every night the books she gave me and the exercises. I was very diligent because I really hated not being able to talk like everyone else and not being able to communicate. And so she was a linchpin in getting me to sort of to learn how to speak. Not only did Sean find a specialist that suited his needs, there was also another element of life that helped Sean's speech improve. What was interesting is when I was about four, my mum came in and I was watching play school on the lounge room floor and I was singing a, a song that was on play school and I was singing the words perfectly, like the whole sentences without any stutter whatsoever. And my mum was shocked and she said, she, she thought, oh, you know, you, you're, you're talking, you're talking. And then when I went to speak, I started again. But she realised that when I sang, I could sing entire sentences perfectly. The doctors were saying that it's because when you're singing, you're essentially singing a three-dimensional melody. You're not speaking, you're singing a sound, which happens to be a word. So that was quite interesting. And so they got me into more and more singing and I sort of loved it because finally people would give me a clap and I was getting some attention. <laughs> because normally I was like, oh, you're the weird boy who can't speak and twitches out and throws yourself against a wall. Whereas now all of a sudden, and dad worked in a restaurant, and I remember I learned a song, a singing song, and it, when I wanted to sing for everyone in the restaurant, I can't believe I did this, I was about five or six, and dad would put me on the table and I would sing for the whole restaurant, you know, and the whole restaurant would clap and, and I'd sort of smile and sit down again, like quite, you know, mission accomplished. <laughs> it was very strange. So I was very young. I can't believe I did that now. Wow. But that was my way of, oh, wow, people like me. I could communicate, I made them feel good and they smiled and 
So I did more and more singing and I'm sure that helped my confidence in some ways. And then mum put me into Mildura Little Theatre, which is a really cool little theatre group. And me and my sister went and we would do acting skits. And when I was playing a role, I could also speak without any stutter, no stutter whatsoever. So it was ridiculous that when I was singing or playing a character, I felt safe in some way and I could speak perfectly. Whereas when I was myself, I still started a lot until seven, eight, nine. And then the more and more acting I did, the more singing I did, the more speech therapy I did, I was actually able, I learnt the skills to breathe and slow down. And then I was able to speak and it just switched, something switched and now you can't shut me up. <laughs> I wanted to communicate with people so much because it was denied from me for so many years. And what happens when something's taken away from you, your human spirit, you approach things really differently. If you get given everything in life, maybe some people don't appreciate it or you don't appreciate it because you've never had to miss it, you've never had to struggle, you've never realised how hard it is not to be able to speak or to communicate. But because I was denied that and I was trapped trying to communicate, I think that's it came out through the singing, the acting, and then ultimately the dancing. So how did it progress from singing and acting to Sean's ultimate destination, dance? Yes, I think it came from the need to communicate, perhaps. I couldn't speak properly for many, many years. I used to watch people very carefully, their gestures, the way they moved, and then the fact that I could learn to speak and sing through the arts, it sort of, I think, it opened that channel of communication for me. And then ultimately it was my sister who was two years older. She had done ballet and I went to see her contemporary ballet concert in Mordura. And when I was sitting in the audience, I was 12 and I'd never seen anything like it. I had no idea dance existed really. And I was watching them on stage and I remember thinking, I know I can do that. Yes, this is what I have to do look at these dancers and I just had a lot of visions actually already of choreography in the future of what I knew I had to do it was very strange it was uh, like a calling in a way very dramatic it was a dramatic calling <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been performing well I started after that concert I went home and was talking to my sister and just started copying the moves and did a double pirouette and my sister said oh my gosh she just did a double pirouette and you've never danced and she went and told the teacher and so the teacher sort of corralled me up and got me to start in their next ballet pretty much so it was sort of 13 was my first dance performance in the local Mordura Ballet Guild so I'm now 50 so it's been and I did a performance last year so gosh it's almost 40 years really but I've moved more recently in directing and choreography as I perform less I'm, I'm sort of drawn to create more rather than performing it's merged it's crossed over from many years of dancing I went to the Victorian College of the Arts and danced there Meryl Tankard, amazing choreographer, took me in for a decade in Adelaide. And then I uh, danced all overseas in New York, Geneva and Berlin. And then I came home. I didn't plan to stay here, actually, in Australia. I came back to do a couple of projects and I just stayed here ever since. And I did a couple of choreographies and they went really well. And then I realised I got to the point the choreography was sort of calling me to do it. When I was in my mid-30s, I started choreographing. Here I asked Sean what style of dance he practised the most. 
it was mostly contemporary dance theatre, actually. So my training at VCA was, we did ballet, but we also did contemporary and, and drama and everything. And all of my dancing was, was dance theatre, contemporary dance theatre. I was lucky enough that Meryl Tankard had invited me into her company. And I'd seen her perform the year before, a piece called Two Feet. And I thought, I have to dance with this this artist. I have to dance with Meryl Tankard. So I got in. It was just a dream come true, really, that she took me. That changed my life. Oh, how lovely. When you say contemporary dance theatre, what does that mean? Dance theatre was sort of born historically in Germany through the Tanz Theatre. There was a whole movement that had words, dramaturgy. The dancers would speak. And Pina Bausch was one of the sort of big founders of it. And Mary Vigman before her. And Meryl Tankata danced with Pina Bausch herself. So Meryl was Australian and she brought that style or aesthetic to Australia. Then you also have choreographers like Lloyd Newsom from DV8 who basically... When people watch the dance, they understand what's going on. The dramaturgy is very clear. The story is clear. The concepts explored in the work are really clear. It's sort of very dramaturgically coherent. What I'm interested in is creating dance works, which we work so hard at the dramaturgy and we we craft it so that it's very clear what's going on. And for me, that's a, a, a huge challenge, but I love it. I wanted to know more about the role of choreographer and director and what that really means. You have to connect with your audience. You have to, you know, intellectually or emotionally engage with them or stimulate them or connect with them. And you have to work really hard at being very clear about what you're saying to the audience. And that's my job as a choreographer, director choreographer. I've got to work inside out to crystallize all of that movement so that people who come off the street, who sit down in a chair to watch a show, they can connect with it and they know what's going on. Sometimes the narratives are obscure or you come in the side door, it doesn't have to be obvious, but there has to be a clarity there. And that's the sort of stuff, the dance theatre that I love. Speaking of the dance theatre that he loves and creates, Sean is the artistic director of his own dance company, Sean Parker and Company. When was it founded? We formed the company in 2010. So we just turned on September the 9th last year, the company turned 10. So we always joke that the company is a Virgo, <laughs> which is very organized and very good, a good team player. <laughs> the Virgo. Oh, lovely. That's what you want in a company for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we just turned 10, which was incredible. And before that, I was working for five years as a freelance choreographer. After doing that for five years, I was able to through the Australia Council and Create New South Wales, I was able to form the company so we could centralise the work. And I'd done enough works then to sort of prove, oh, okay, I've got something to give, like I'm ready now to to centralise the work and to form the company. So we're sort of now going to our 11th year. Amazing. Why did you start the company? There's something about having a sort of an infrastructure surround you to protect the work and to protect you. And in order to get to the next level, And in order to one day secure a whole company of dancers that are with you all year, because at the moment I'm only project to project, like I can only employ dancers every now and then when I've got the funding. But my aim is to have dancers full time all year so we can really build a body of work. That was sort of why I really wanted to do it really, is so that I could be able to employ my dancers and give them uh, an opportunity that I had. Because when I went into Meryl Tankard, at the Australian Dance Theatre in Adelaide, we were on full-time contracts for seven years. So 
we would just dance every day with Meryl and just get better and better and better, like because we were dancing every day rather than scrounging around working in bars, trying to pay your rent, trying to keep your skills up as a dancer. Because as a dancer, you're an athlete as well. You're not just a creative mind. You've got to stay sharp. You know, you've got to have your body fit. Otherwise, you get injured or you just don't improve. So my, I would love to reach that stage where I had 10 dancers or even more where I could, they could grow with me and I could give them an opportunity of a lifetime, which in a way what Meryl did for us when, when I was with her company. Totally, because you yourself had an opportunity like the one you're trying to create for other people moving forward. And you can see the importance of that. Yes, exactly. It's so important, like for dancers, it's just incredible. And a lot of the dancers that were with us with Meryl during the 90s, we've all gone on to do really special things. And I really, you know, I sort of pay tribute to Meryl because she taught us. We didn't know at the time we were dancers for her, but Meryl is such a master that we were absorbing these processes that we didn't even know it. We were absorbing choreographic process, dramaturgical processes that was just feeding into us as we created the work with her that is now, it's actually quite an amazing gift because there's no nowhere else you could learn those skills. Those skills were learnt by a long-term connection with Meryl Tankard and working process. You can't teach that. You've got to be a part of that. And that was quite a special opportunity for us. Sean's aim is to emulate the positive experiences he's had in his own dance career. And while his company is not yet able to employ full-time dancers, it has created some wonderful work. Here, Sean tells me more about that work. Yeah, well, we've been very lucky to still be able to deliver projects every year through the Australia Council on Create New South Wales. Also, the City of Sydney funds us as well for several projects. And more recently, I suppose over the last year or two, I started a program in Sydney called Queer Bites. We sort of launched it in Mardi Gras, not last year, the year before. And I put a call out to 10 queer artists in Sydney. I wanted to bring queer artists from different genres together. So actors could apply, dancers, circus artists, opera singers, cabaret singers, writers, directors, anyone, really. <laughs> we had a pop artist come in as well. So we had such an amazing time with them. We, we did several workshops and a special two-week residency where I was working with them all together for two full weeks just on ideas. And we didn't have to come up with a perfect product. It was about us getting together from all different genres, these people who may not meet each other in Sydney, but everyone now knows each other of that original 10. And we've had three, two or three others join as well since then. So now all these artists from different genres, they've already started to work with each other outside the, pro the mentorship, which is great. They're offering each other work. I'm working towards a project for 2023 World Pride as well in Sydney, because Sydney got World Pride, which is incredible. So that's going to be really exciting. And so what I'm doing is starting now through the Queer Bites mentorships that will continue over the next three years and sort of building up to a series of works that will perform at the 2023 World Pride. Why is a program like Queer Bites so important? Well, I feel that a lot of the queer artists, most of which are doing quite innovative work, I must say, they needed support. I wanted to help them. I wanted to be a mentor so they could say, oh, Sean, I've, I have no idea. I'm, I've been, you know, six months without work. I almost got three grants, but I didn't get it. 
They come to me, I help them write some grants, which I did recently for a couple of my artists. I would help them structure grant applications so that they could get some extra funding and empower them, which was quite wonderful. And so they need that support, otherwise they're left on their own. And I remember knowing what it was like where I almost gave up several times because I felt lost and I felt there was no one helping me. And I sort of really wanted these young queer artists to have that support, but also to hook up with each other. And it's been wonderful. Like one of our queer biters, Felicity Nickel, an incredible queer writer and dramaturg, and she did Queer Bites. And now we've worked continually and kept talking about projects and she'll be joining the company this year and next year as a dramaturg on several of my projects. So it's been incredible. So I discovered her because we had such a strong synergy in our working method through the, the workshop. She's now coming to work with me as a dramaturg and I may not have even met her if I didn't do this. She's such a, an incredible writer and she writes amazing lesbian stories and it made me realise that I hadn't heard as many of a lesbian perspective as I wanted to. And like when she was in the workshop, she'd be writing a slam poetry, um, lesbian slam poetry from her perspective. And I thought, wow, this is awesome. We don't hear enough of this. It gets missed out. Like every queer story is important, don't get me wrong. But I felt like I wanted to hear more of those stories, you know. So that was quite amazing. Another guy, another two of the performers, Dean Tai, who is a pop singer, music producer, event producer in Sydney. Um, he's just released uh, a music video, Freedom, and he's been wonderful. So he's, he crosses genres. He produces events, produces music, write pop song, and does drag acts. Like, he's amazing. He's sort of a slashy. <laughs> um, like, we, we all have to be slashies nowadays because you've got to be good at everything, you know. I've been helping him with grants and advising him, and he also appeared in a music video I did recently for Jamaz on Mars who's an incredible queer rapper from Sydney. And we got also Rudolf Hendricks was the school teacher and he was in Queer Bites as well. It was inspired by Jamaz's own life. And that was what was so beautiful about the project. And I, I just donated my time and I said, I don't care, I, I'm going to support you. You're a young rapper, queer rapper in hip hop culture. You may not get the same support because you're gay, unfortunately, like the hip hop culture I love but it can be a little bit heteronormative and a little bit, you know, the cool straight guys get all the opportunities, which is great. But, you know, I wanted to support him because I felt he should have had more support from the hip hop industry. It was just incredible. And, and it was great that I could use some of the queer biters as performers in there. And I ended up even in there. I played the mean headmaster because <laughs> we were saving money on actors <laughs> because we couldn't pay anyone. And because I'd performed so much, I said, oh, I could do a good mean headmaster. Speaking of headmasters, I've seen that Sean Parker and company do a lot of educational shows. They take dance performances to schools. Sean tells me more about that. We've got our anti-bullying show that we take into schools, and that's called The Yard, and that's told through street dance, and we even have scenes involving sport items like soccer balls, basketballs, BMX bikes as well. So one part of the company is our really big shows, that we tour to the opera house and festivals and overseas. Then the other sort of tier or branch of the company is our education community work. It's been great. We've sort of performed to almost 100,000 students now, our anti-bullying show, and we're going on tour again into Sydney schools actually in March uh, surrounding the anti-bullying week. And we also will be live streaming that show from a, 
Alive's Playground in Western Sydney, which is in one of the sort of more lower socioeconomic areas of Sydney. And it will be incredible because we're live streaming it to all schools across Australia, even remote. So there are places we could never afford to tour into, but the whole class can, can watch it with their teacher live streamed from another school. So it's really sort of nice. We discovered the live stream through COVID because last year when we shut down, we we'll sort of had to reduce things. We did a in the zone performance at the Seymour Centre and we live streamed it to uh, 200 schools across Australia, which was amazing. And we got to test it then. It was our first ever live stream, but now we know how to do it. And so now we know how to do it. So we're going to do it every year now with our different projects, which is really exciting. We spoke a lot about the anti-bullying shows that Sean's company takes to schools. Sean himself was bullied. And it seems that his lived experience very much heightened his awareness of a need for such programs. Well, I think growing up in Mildura, I loved Mildura, really, really loved it. But in the 70s and 80s in Mildura, a small country town, being a boy, the toxic masculinity was shocking. It was really, it has, it has really reared its ugly head. The old school enforcement of what it is to be a man was debilitating to the extent that I almost didn't dance because of the stigma, queer, you know, girl, poofta, all the names and everything that I got called associated with dancing. Luckily, I was very stubborn. <laughs> I was very stubborn. I told them to piss off and I would sort of, if I got dragged into the ground, I, I would fight back, which is sort of good in some ways because I stuck up for myself, but it does leave its scars, you know, a lot of why did it have to be like that? And and it's a shame that I had to sort of, I got drawn into aggressive situations where I had to survive, you know, because it does, it's, it stays with you, that residue, and you just want to walk to school. And then, you know, there was one one guy who was just sort of constantly trying to hunt me down it was just awful that feeling of bullying because of I was different you know I was different and I dared to be different they couldn't stand that I challenged them and I dared to be different they want to control you and no one's allowed to be different if you're a guy you have to be so hyper masculine in that classic sense and I saw a couple of my friends get bullied as well. I, it was just something that it really meant a lot to me. And it came out really naturally when I created the yard and it still happens. And the poor kids now have to even deal with all the digital bullying. There's no escape from it. There's no relief from it. So I, it's something that the teachers are really wanting to bring to their school. And we've had some excellent feedback from the students after they've you know, taken part of the program as well. It's clear that Sean has a very personal knowledge of the effects of bullying and sees the evident need for programs like his to inspire change. He chose to teach using dance. What is it about dance that you think makes it a good medium to educate? If you can choose the right language, you can connect with people in a non-verbal way. For example, the anti-bullying program we do, it's, there's no words in it at all. It's only told through dance and movement and street dance and all the languages that the kids relate to. So it's very contemporary. I, I always use a lot of hip-hop dances and street dances because I believe that language is it's incredibly sophisticated and beautiful, And but also it connects to young people, like young people understand it. It's their language. It's their contemporary movement language. It's not a, a beautiful ballet leg, you know, and a tutu and a pointed foot, which is beautiful, but how is that really connecting to modern-day young people who... Their language is, is born from the street culture, you know. You've just got to look at YouTube and the music video clips and TikTok, you know. It's really um, smashed everything open and I love that. 
Sean's company prides itself on using language audiences can understand. That's an important part of what they do, and he loves it. I asked Sean what his favourite parts of dance are. I love the visceral nature of dance. I love individuality. A lot of my dancers are really individual. They're incredible performers, but, you know, several of them may not fit into a classic ballet company or your mainstream institutions. They're too unique. Whereas they they come to me and I'll put them on stage and I'll celebrate their uniqueness and individuality and diversity. And that's naturally in the DNA of the company. And it's just, I think it's just naturally who I am. I've always been like that. And I want to celebrate that. And I want to give visibility to diversity because it's really not just gender and and sexual diversity, but cultural diversity as well. And we have such a cross section of, of performers that it's important for young kids who are culturally diverse in Australia to see people on stage, on music video clips, on the TV commercials that represent them them culturally as well not just a whitewashing of visibility out there they need to be young and go oh wow I could do that one day you know there's someone like me and it goes for the whole queer aspect as well it's visibility before we finished our chats I asked Sean what he would tell someone who wanted to dance my advice would be if you love it just go for it and it can feel daunting but I'm a firm believer that if you give something work 100% at something and do it with love good things come out of it. And it may not be always exactly what you expect. I'd like to thank Sean Parker for being on the show. I learnt so much about how certain moments and experiences in life can truly shape what you do. It's wonderful to see queer work being celebrated in his mentor program, Queer Bites. For more information about that and Sean Parker and company generally, head to seanparkercompany.com. That's S-H-A-U-N. P-A-R-K-E-R company.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter. If you think you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, get in touch. Email howdoyoudothat at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.